yes, 2014 was Usagi's 30th anniversary. Yeah. And, you know, I still remember when I first started, it was trying to think of something, you know, will Usagi be on next month, Al? Yeah. And at that time, he was in the anthology and doing anthologies with、uh, Elbido and then Critters. And it was,、uh, you know, when's the next time Usagi going to be、uh, printed or published? And now it's like I'm doing laying down groundwork for storylines that won't, that I won't really get to for another five years.、Yeah. So it's, it's really neat. Did, did he, at what point was it clear that he was your guy? Oh, about,、uh, I guess, maybe five or ten years into、oh, doing this. It took a while. It took a while. Five to ten years is a pretty good run on anything. Yeah, well, I guess more like five years、yeah. because.、Uh, Usagi was in, like I said, anthologies for、yeah. uh, the first two or three years. And then he started, then he got his own series, I think in 1987. And uh, uh, he's been published、uh, continuously、yeah. since 1984, actually. You were tinkering around with other things in the meantime? I was. I mean, I've been doing, well, I stopped doing this now, but I was doing lettering for Spider Man Sunday newspaper strips.、Huh. And I. Accepted that mainly because、uh, I got to work directly with Stan Lee,、yeah. and that was the only thing that Stan was writing at、yeah. that time. So it was kind of neat. You, you had some really good apprenticeships between Stan Lee, I, you worked with, with Sergio. Sergio Argonez, yeah. yeah huh? I, I, I mean, it's <laughs> great because I have gotten to meet my heroes.、Yeah. I knew Jack Kirby, I、wow. mean, it's Will Eisner wrote the introduction to my book, and you know, it, it's. it's Like a dream. I mean, I remember when Stan first called me、uh, to do the lettering for Spider Man. He just, I just picked up the phone, says hello. Says, Hi, this is Stan Lee. It's Stan Sakai. It's, wow, he sounds like Stan. He sounds like Stan. <laughs> hello, true believer.、Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of funny. And there's、yeah. some people, like when I first met George Takei, I kept thinking, he sounds like Mr. Sulu. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that's not an act. Yeah. He's, he's just. Um, somebody who's born with a voice like that yeah,、uh-huh. is going on to better things.、Oh, you yeah, know? Yeah. <laughs> like he's, he's, he's got some, some things that are、uh-huh. mapped out. It's, that is a natural born thing.、Yeah. And George wrote the introduction to、um, my, uh, uh, my 30th anniversary book. The,、um, yeah. But he's a neat guy. Was, was he a, is he a comics fan?、Um, no, but we have that connection because of the Japanese American、yeah. National Museum. And he likes Usagi, so it was,、yeah. was kind of neat. So, so you're, you know, you're working on Gru early on.、Mm-hmm. You're, you're working on Spider Man. Well, not anymore. Well,、uh, yeah. uh, oh, yeah, when yeah, you yeah. were starting,、oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, you, you were working on these books.、Uh, you know, the, the thing that they have in, in common is、um, this, it's, it, these very sort of iconic characters. I mean, you know, with Sergio,、mm-hmm. um, he was able to you know, do this long, ongoing series. It, it, were you looking to create that version of a character for yourself? To sort of become a signature?、Um, kind of. I mean, I've always wanted to do a series inspired by the life of a real samurai named Miyamoto Musashi,、mm. who lived during the 17th century Japan, like、yeah. the、uh, early 1600s. And、uh, when I created Usagi, and you know, the character's name is actually Miyamoto Usagi. Usagi, Usagi、yeah. means、uh, rabbit, rabbit in Japanese. Yeah, yeah. So. I just started doing it, and now it's like, you know, I have to continue with Usagi because, you know, realistically, I have no other job skills. 
there, there's something about those epic samurai stories oh, yeah. that feel mm-hmm. like they need to unfold. You yeah. know that I, I don't know, and, and maybe it's sort of a distinctly Japanese form of storytelling mm-hmm. um, that you're you're just going to have a lot of story to tell. Oh yeah, yeah. And I grew up in Hawaii, and right down the street was the Okapuhulu Theater, and every Saturday um, they'd show Chambara, or Japanese sword fighting movies, yeah. so I got to see like, you know, all the Toshiro Mifune movies, yeah. all the Lone Goat and Kid, or Baby Cart series, yeah. uh, Zatu yeah. Ichi, and oh, I grew up on that stuff, the Blind Swordsman, the one arm one eye Swordsman, the Blind Swordswoman, it's like all the you know, <laughs> different incarnations. Variations yeah, of Swordsman, yeah. Very, exactly. <laughs> So, so I, I, you know, I've got this picture of you going to see these matinees, going home, and then just starting to draw yeah. samurais, and and that, you know, I, I assume that this was well before you knew that you were going to be a cartoonist. Oh yeah, yeah. But then I've always wanted to do an artwork of yeah. some kind, but I never imagined I could do comics. At yeah. that time, growing up, um, you know, comics just appeared magically on the shelves. Yeah, and it was until Stanley, you know, featured all these, uh, you know. Story by Smiling Stanley, uh, artwork by Jovio Jack Kirby. That hey, there's actually people yeah. that do these things. But everyone was in New York or the East Coast, and you know Hawaii is as far away from the East Coast as you can get yeah. and still be in the United States. Yeah. So I never imagined that I'd be uh, you know doing comics. So it, it's really neat. That, that it's it's one of the things that's neat about a show like this. Mm-hmm. And I was just I was I was talking to another cartoonist before, and he. Um, you know, so I was I was sitting standing by his table, and he was talking to a kid who mm-hmm. wanted to start drawing. And um, what was really interesting to see in this conversation was this idea of sort of pulling back the curtain. I mean, he was he was standing there drawing sketches right, right. to let let him know, you know, that just because you're an artist doesn't mean you're not making mistakes, and mm-hmm. and that you know the work isn't just sort of pouring out of your pen like it right. like it looks on the page. And that's always that's kind of the big barrier uh, when somebody's starting something creative is mm-hmm. the frustration that what you're doing isn't absolutely perfect. Right, right, right. And well, that's why we have erasers. Yeah, <laughs> but the, but isn't in, in a sense isn't that sort of the the, the, the boundary when you didn't mm-hmm. realize that real people were exactly, doing this? Exactly. Was that how how is it possible for you, for you to get from point A to point B? Exactly. Well, the conventions are great because yeah. you know they weren't conventions when I was growing up and. Here you get to meet the artists, you get to interact and, you know, see how they work. I, I've been, well, I had to step down a couple, the last couple of years, but I've been a thesis advisor to um, uh, sequential arts students. Oh, wow. yeah. And I used to lecture at uh, various schools like Savannah College of Art and Design. But, uh, you know, just to encourage, um, you know, up-and-comers, uh, kind of giving back to the industry what, yeah. you know, you got from it. What, uh, what 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 kind of things were you, were you teaching? And well, not teaching. Uh, okay. Like I said, guest lecturing and being a thesis yeah. advisor. And storytelling. Storytelling. Uh, well, for my one-day lectures, I would do basically the entire sequence of how I create a story from uh, where you get your ideas yeah. to uh, outline, thumb, thumbnail drawings, uh, pencils, lettering, hand lettering, uh, inking, and then I finish off with uh, doing uh, like a watercolor, uh, watercolor picture yeah. uh, or drawing because nowadays so many people just use um, Photoshop that you know they lost the 
you know, they don't know how to do, um, you know, to um, yeah. use Frisket to block out uh, things yeah. for watercolor or just the, you know, just the uh, applying the watercolor onto onto paper. So you you, you said you've you've got stories right now that are four or five years out. Oh in, yeah, in yeah, yeah. I've English. got like the uh, Tengu Wars. I've got um, uh, Tomoe's wedding. And, yeah, yeah. Like uh, Senso, that uh, yeah, story yeah. that came out about 15 years into Sagi's future. Yeah. I was working on that for about 15 years. I had that idea uh, 15 years before I actually started doing it. And it's just finding the right time to actually do it. And it seemed a good time then because uh, I had taken a hiatus from Usagi to work on 47 Ronin. And then right after that, I, you know, I talked to my editor at that time, Dana Schultz. And she said, you know, now's a t- good time to do Senso before you get back into Usagi. And, you know, she was right. You must be the most patient man in the world. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a story I did on uh, Grasscutter. And Grasscutter, it's, uh, you know, it won an Eisner Award, won, yeah. uh, got a Parents or uh, American Library Association Award, Haxter Award. It's been used as a uh, textbook in some Japanese history classes oh. at the college level. And that took about a full five years to research. Huh. And, of course, I was doing other things yeah. at that time, but, uh, you know, the research and everything took about five years to do. How, how clearly is so, something that's, you know, five years out, mm-hmm. how clearly defined is it at this point? Right now it's nebulous because a lot of it depends upon the research that I actually do. Yeah. Such as I'll bring up Grass Cutter again. Um, th- there's a legend that, uh, well, first of all, Grass Cutter follows a sword Grass Cutter. Uh, it was given to the people of Japan by the Empress Amaterasu, the, uh, the the goddess, and it was uh, found in the um, tail of an eight-headed, eight-tailed dragon, uh-huh. and, and you know it was lost during the uh, Jap- uh, the Genpei Wars, which is uh, Japan Civil Wars, and the legend goes that all the um, all the warriors who died at the Battle of Danuura, which is in the um, the uh, Straits, it's in, in the ocean, mm-hmm. they drowned. And all those warriors be turned into he- crabs, and they're called Heiki crabs. So I had this image of Usagi fighting these huge crabs. And, oh, that would be great. But then when I'm doing more research, I found the crabs are like a quarter of an <laughs> inch across. Yeah. <laughs> so it didn't seem like much of a battle. It's almost it's almost sort of autopilot in a sense that uh-huh. you know you 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 find something really interesting you want to be a story about it. Obviously, mm-hmm. you're going to put Usagi in there. Oh, yeah, Obviously, yeah. there's going to be a way to to fit him in there. Right. Yeah. It's just sort of you know I mean you've you've done other things, but um, it's almost like kind of a given, right? That oh, he's going yeah. to be the vessel for these stories. Oh, of course, of course. Like I've done stories about pottery making, sword making, yeah. uh, kite festivals, um, seaweed growing. Uh, um, soy sauce making and you know and things like that interest me a lot because I may find some piece of obscure uh, p- piece of Japanese culture history or something that's so commonplace but I really know nothing about such yeah. as uh, soy sauce making I've been using uh, shoyu all my life sure. but I never thought about the process yeah. of the fermentation and you know there's actually things like white soy sauce and you know <laughs> and yeah. you know that that kind of sparked something. Say, I, I, I want to do something about soy sauce. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I, I can do stuff like that. What, what, what is it about Usagi as a character that, you know, that fits in everything? I mean, you wanted to do a, a futuristic story about, you know, and with, yeah, with some robots in it. So, yeah, that Space Usagi yeah. came about. It, the Space Usagi came about because I want to draw dinosaurs. And I figure I can either 
make a you know, put a saga in a, you know, ancient times with dinosaurs, yeah. but that didn't seem that very interesting. So I thought, oh, the other alternative was to uh, do a story in the far future, and he goes to a dinosaur planet, and that seemed a lot more interesting. So that's what I did. What, how is he such a malleable character? How does he fit in everywhere? <laughs> I don't know. He's kind of like a every person. Okay. So, yeah. He's, he's sort of like a, like I, a vessel. That, yeah, I've been, I mean, he's... I've done Usagi stories in uh, romances, mysteries, mostly ad- action adventure. Yeah. But uh, I also did the tea ceremony, which I just show the tea ceremony from very beginning to the end. There's no fighting or anything, but it's, I got so many compliments about that story yeah. that people say, you know, that's one of their most favorite Usagi stories. How steeped were you uh, growing up in Hawaii? How steeped were you in Japanese culture growing up? Well, quite a bit because uh, at that time, and I don't know how it is now, but uh, the Japanese were the biggest voting bloc in the uh, in Hawaii. Yeah. So I grew up with the the uh, you know Obon festivals and um, Japanese schools and you know yeah. all that all that stuff. But you I, know. I wonder, if, you know, I wonder if. if the reason why it's been such a ongoing fascination is that, in a sense, you know, obviously you're, you're of Japanese heritage mm-hmm. and you grew around, up around some Japanese people, but you were kind of an outsider. Yeah. You know, you were living in you were living in Hawaii, you were living in also, America. I'm, I'm and third generation Japanese American. Yeah, yeah. So all my uh, research is exactly that. It's research, uh, uh, books, or what I grew up with. Uh, the well, I, you know, with the culture of Japan, yeah. my mom was born in Japan and grew up in Japan. So I used her as a lot of my uh, go to her to a lot of my research too. Especially if I find a Japanese book about uh, Japanese monsters and I want to do a, a story about them, I had to say, you know, "What's this uh, yeah. monster? What's his name? And what, <laughs> what, what what's the story behind him?" Yeah, <laughs> it's I, I yeah. I guess I guess what I was getting at is you mm-hmm. know we we take our own culture for granted. Oh, exactly right. Um, and the fact that that you were not living in Japan mm-hmm. is probably what made it so fascinating to you, right? <laughs> the fact that that you were a bit of an outsider, you know, if you know, if if you were living in Japan, you might not have this ongoing fascination. Right, you might want right, to continue right. to write these well, stories. Well, also too, when people move to a different area, they tend to retain their culture yeah. a lot more yeah. than sometimes than the people who are actually native. Um, I mean, those Japanese that moved to Hawaii kept the Japanese culture yeah. whereas uh, people where you know in Japan might have moved on and a lot of the um, the cultural significance might have been you know obscured or become insignificant or something but uh, yeah so I really grew up uh, immersed in the you know the traditional Japanese culture did, did the obviously uh, Hawaii's got its own fascinating history oh, yeah. and culture mm-hmm. um, has that also played a role in the stories yeah, because a lot of my uh, stories have been based upon legends and, um, you know, all the myths of Japan, which have been kind of introduced to Hawaii, too. Mm. And, uh, I mean, I love Japanese folklore and the uh, the monsters and creatures of folklore. And not just the really horrific ones, but the really wacky ones, like the, uh, the uh, I think it's the... Uh, Obake Kasa or something the the umbrella with the big eye and the one foot or the 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 big the big foot with the eye that walk you know hops around yeah. it, they have really weird things so it, it's fun for a country that small uh, Japan has more 
has a greater history of folklore yeah. than any other country uh, you know, in Western civilization. Yeah. And it's really neat. It's a really rich um, culture with, uh, as far as folklore goes. How, how has Usagi been received in Japan? You know, I was a guest of Osamu Tezuka Productions way oh, wow. back uh, uh. in uh, in nineteen ninety nine, I think it was, and you know, I was surprised I was even invited because there's never been a Western comic book, neither uh, the, from the U.S. or from Europe, that yeah. has made any type of impression on That's the Japanese manga market. I mean, everything's manga, but. Yeah. Um, they may have like Spider-Man or so, or you know Fantastic Four, but these were news stories made specifically for the yeah, Japanese, Japanese market Spider-Man. in yeah, Japan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so it's not just it, they don't just import yeah. um, stories from the U.S. There have been some instances, but they're always by very small publishers and never lasted very long. So I was surprised that people knew who I was, and they 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 took to. Your 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 interpretation of their of their culture. Oh no no no! No, like I said, there, there's never been a uh, American instance of American yeah. or a Western comic book, and that includes uh, Usagi making an impact on the Japanese market. It's strange. You had some you had some impact if they invited you. Well, over I mean, there. but then these are Osamu Tezuka. Uh, and, yeah, you know, it's they want to. Have a symposium for a while. They were doing these uh, yearly symposiums where they would invite a f- uh, maybe four or five select uh, American or Western okay. artists yeah. and uh, just talk about comics. Uh, we, they also introduced us to various publishers, animators, and you know, and the we just had a good time. I mean, it was incredible. They. The wine and dine us. And, and when we get home, <laughs> when we got home, we said, "Why did they invite us?" And we had a great time. But yeah. that seemed about it. When 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 you're you're reflecting on on Usagi, you know, thir- thirty years mm-hmm. in, especially when you had such a big milestone. I mean, do you did you sort of stop and and wonder whether he specifically was somebody that you wanted to keep investing yourself in? Oh yeah, I love working on Usagi, and you know, I'm I'm really blessed. I mean. I have a great relationship with all my publishers in that whatever I turn in, they have to publish. <laughs> I mean, I have no editor watching over me. Yeah. I, the first time they actually see the, uh, the work is when I send it in complete. Yeah. It's all inked and ready to be pr- yeah. printed. I mean, they'll, they'll tweak the um, uh, spelling and things, but uh, I have no editorial in- interference at all. Do you get any feedback in your life before it goes to print? Is well, I make sure to uh, some friends yeah. once in a while. Nowadays, I'll, I'll just finish it up and send it in. Uh, when I first started, I showed it to some friends. I yeah. remember I there's a story called Kite Story that's in Usagi Book 5. And uh, after I finished that story, I showed it to Sergio. And he took it off into a corner and read it, and he returned it later and said, Oh, it's a good story. So, okay, good. And that's particular comic came out right at San Diego Con and people kept coming up to me, hey I caught Gru in the crowd scenes way to go and then what I didn't draw Gru and then when I looked at the art well, yeah I went search and took it off he drew a little drawing of Gru so in the chill. crowd scene yeah it's a very that's a very Sergio move, yeah. you know, knowing like all the stuff he's done for Mad. It <laughs> yeah. makes a lot of sense. That's really funny. It is. 
you guys must be have a good relationship. Oh yeah, felt oh, comfortable oh yeah, drawing. I love Sergio. Yeah, and we've really gone. He's my one of my favorite people to go traveling with. Yeah. Uh, we've gone to like Hawaii, Norway, uh, Sweden, Spain. I mean, there's for Spain. There's no one I'd rather get lost in Spain with than uh, yeah. Sergio. I mean, it's great. You see, you seem like the sort of person, especially you know, considering the fact that, that you're looking at these mm-hmm. things far down the road. That um, once you start on something, you're very determined to finish it. That, that you know, mm-hmm. that, that that if anything, that that third party feedback yeah. early into the process would kind of deter you from doing it. You, do, do you just do, do you just kind of lock yourself up in a room and and just just work? No, 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 <laughs> no. no, not at all. I have the TV on, and yeah. you know. I've got lots. Of, when I'm writing, I need complete silence. And um, when I'm actually uh, drawing, the penciling or inking, you know, I like to have noise around, um, like white noise with a TV on. Yeah. And usually, action adventure or oh, Law and Order is great because I know all the stories by heart. Yeah. And right when okay, there's going to be a, a shooting, so I'll sit back and watch, and then go back to work. <laughs> How connected are, are writing and drawing for you? Are, are you are you are you still writing as you're drawing? Uh, well, I'm writing. Yeah, you mean uh, the process? Yeah, yeah. yeah Once yeah, you yeah. sat down, do mm-hmm. things change? Move around a little? Oh bit? yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, sometimes I would do two endings, and I once I uh, sent both endings to my editor Diana and asked her pick the one you want because I don't know. Others, I uh, once um, I. I did one ending which I thought was the proper one and I called Diana and said, you know, as soon as you get this, read it, call me back. Yeah. So, so you're actually finishing the work and sending it to her knowing that some of those pages won't ultimately make oh, it? Oh, yeah. In fact, uh, uh, I had mentioned the, um, the tea ceremony. Yeah. And I had sent in the complete story to her and about a week later, I... Um, I found out that you don't actually carry the stories into the tea house. And I had Osagi doing that and laying that at his, you know, next to him. And so I called Diane and said, don't send that off to the printer yet. I need to redo those pages. So I, in the uh, revised edition, revised pages, I had Usagi uh, laying his uh, stories outside of the tea house, which that is more just, proper. That would have just driven you crazy? Oh, it would have, yeah. <laughs> Knowing you put a mistake out yeah. there. Yeah, and... Um, uh, Usagi played a game of Go once um, in a story called uh, Demon Mask. And Go is a, a board game. And I had Usagi say, oh, you know, I won the game of Go. And people called, not called, but emailed and from as far away from Germany and said, that's not Go, that's Gomoku, which is a completely different game, you idiot. <laughs> And, but Gomoku uses the same board, the same game pieces. Yeah. It's just that the tr- strategies are different. It's this idea, the idea of the you know, temporary suspension of disbelief uh-huh. is an interesting one where people will accept that it's a rabbit samurai <laughs> and that he's, you know, fighting robots. Uh-huh. But if you get the game wrong, right, right. Then that's what sets people off. Right. Well, for that one, in that instance, because Osagi first comes out of the comic books and then gets reprinted in those trade trade collections I was able to uh, I bought a book on Go I went to a Go tournament in Los Angeles and I went to the um, the website of the American Go Masters Association and not only did I have it uh, you know properly done 
but also the game pieces uh, on that last panel are in the same position as this famous game uh, that was between two generals about 200 years yeah. ago. Did you? It might have been something you learned off of Sergio. It's just like, you know, this attention to detail, putting things in there. No, no, Sergio is maniacal about detail sometimes. Um, We did uh, Space Circus, which was a miniseries. And then uh, once he showed me a a panel, the uh, the final uh, full page, and he said, you know, all those stars, that's in the exact position the stars were in the night I finished this this uh, page no, that, that is an attention to detail he's the, he's the, the Neil deGrasse Tyson of, yeah. <laughs> of comic books that's very that's, that's very funny I'll, I'll keep track of the uh, phases of the moon maybe yeah but I, I don't go into that much that's detail funny. yeah what, what um, when you were when, when you first decided that you wanted to draw comics for mm-hmm. a living what who are, who are the models? You know, it's it's the American comics industry is mm-hmm. is interesting in that you know, uh, obviously the the two big forward facing companies mm-hmm. are Marvel and DC, and those are the ones that seem like they are kind of impenetrable. Mm-hmm. Things are changing a little right. now. They are. There's a lot more indie, uh, a lot more indie books. You you can walk around here. You can go to shows like SBX. Mm-hmm. Um, but who are you looking at? Who who is who is sort of the ideal? Who who is who. Who made it clear that maybe becoming a cartoonist was an attainable goal? Oh, well, I wanted to be an artist uh, regardless. Yeah. Uh, I thought I'd go into advertising. but uh, That's a very pragmatic exactly. view. Exactly. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, I've done work for like Mattel Toys, and they pay a lot more than comic books. Sure. <laughs> but I really love comics. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah... Uh, Artistic influences, if you talk about artistic influence, uh, Steve Ditko was my first yeah. big influence, and he still is. Um, for inking, uh, Milo Manara, I love I his pen line. I, I'm, I'm not that enamored with his um, uh, watercolor work, but I love his ink line. Yeah. Um, uh, Sergio for worth ethic, I think, yeah. uh, the way he approaches a page. Um, Jack Kirby, uh, Tezuka, I mean, his stuff is outrageously good. Uh, Michette, which is, who is a Belgian artist, uh, and uh, Asbury, there's so many now, yeah. Mobius, yeah. And, and, and you were, your timing was really good. Yeah. And, you know, you, you came around that time period where a lot of these black and white books black were coming and white up. Books, you know, yeah. I know that... Um, Usagi had some crossovers with the Ninja mm-hmm. Turtles. I mean, that's, you know, uh, Kevin Eastman is a really good example of somebody who, you know, I, I, I assume kind of showed everyone that, that it could be done, or, or mm-hmm. Dave Sim, that, right, you know, right, right. that maybe you didn't have to necessarily uh, find a way to work mm-hmm. for Marvel to be a professional cartoonist. Right. Yeah, you know, Usagi and the Turtles are the same age. They both came out in November yeah. of 1984. Wow. And, you know, at that time, there were only a very small handful of black and white books. There was like Elfquest, Cerebus, um, I think uh, Mage, and maybe yeah. one or two others. Yeah. So when the Turtles came out and Usagi came out, we started corresponding with each other. And that's how we developed our friendship. So, you know, and it was at a, actually at the San Diego Comic-Con that I was sitting next to Peter and they had a TV show and he just turned to me and said, oh, you want to sign your toys? I said, oh, sure. <laughs> and then from there, the lawyers got involved, but that's uh, how it started. That's, 
It's a very Ninja Turtles view of the world. You know, it's it. That's so funny. That started as yeah. as merchandising, and I, and I guess in a way he kind of became a part of that universe. Oh yeah, I mean that first Asagi toy sold like two point two million yeah. units the first year alone. So it was yeah. a great toy. I remember. Yeah, very it was fun. Well, you should toy. you know you should have seen the uh, version I um, I rejected. <laughs> I mean, it was pretty much like Usagi's yeah. head on He-Man's body. Because I knew it. Really? I, ha- I would have to make compromises to yeah. fit it, the toy into sure. to the Turtles the universe. And, yeah. Yeah. and you know, the Turtles had this uh, small head with yeah. these huge bodies. One of the things that I think connected you, you and, and the work they were doing on the Turtles, mm-hmm. aside from, you know, anthropomorphic, right, right, you right. know, vaguely Japanese-influenced <laughs> characters, which, granted, is a pretty good connection right there, but is... And I think this sets it, uh, sets both books apart, yours especially from a lot of the books that were coming out of the black and white movement of the period. Is that um, is that Isagi's always been a fun book? That, yeah, you know, that, that you've yeah. you've had a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. That you know that it's it's fam- it's all ages, and, and that's something that I've always appreciated because I feel it felt like at least you know kind of in, in hindsight because it's a little early for me, but in hindsight looking at a lot of that stuff, that everybody felt like they needed to take a Everything went so gritty, and everything yeah. went so dark. Oh, yeah, yeah. And everybody, you know, you know, Frank Miller, all these people, felt like they needed to prove a point almost mm-hmm. right, that right. comic books were that that superheroes were serious business. <laughs> you know that that you know that the killing joke. Uh-huh. That it, um, but you, it seems like you always felt like they should be all ages, and they should be family friendly. Well, it's that not all ages. Usagi is not all yeah. ages. Usagi is meant for a readership of one for me these are the kind of stories that I would yeah. like to read and you know I'm just grateful that so yeah. many other people share the, share my perspective I mean I don't write for all those all ages it's, yeah. I just write for myself you don't I mean, after 30 but years is, you must think about yeah. the readers a little bit I, while I you're do, doing yeah, it yeah I do yeah. and when I hear about I Usagi won like a library award yeah. or a you know, parents' award. That really makes me feel good. Yeah. Or an educational award. It's it's really neat. So, speaking of, of of your contemporaries and people from mm-hmm. from who started in that time period, this is uh, I pe- pe- listeners of the podcast have heard this story a million times, but it's always jumped out at me. I was I was speaking to uh, to Jaime Hernandez, mm-hmm. and it's something that you know I'm a writer. It's never really occurred to me until he ar- articulated it, and I think you're one of the best examples of this. Um, is this idea that if you're going to sit down... He was talking about cars uh-huh. and how much he likes drawing cars. Uh, but if, the, if you're going to sit down and it, you're going to work on something for you know months, if not years at a time, uh-huh. you better like drawing it. <laughs> you better... The act of drawing it better give oh, you some yeah, pleasure. Like a- you, you need to pick something that you want to draw over and over again. And for right, you, it's right. very clearly been... Samurais, oh yeah, uh-huh. or like you said, one day you want to draw dinosaurs, right, yeah. you know, or or you know, robots or anything else. But the it sounds like the idea of just wanting to draw that mm-hmm. is such a big influence on what you end up drawing. And exactly the stories you yeah. end up telling. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Like with uh, Senso, it's basically War of the Worlds yeah, in yeah, Usagi's yeah. time, and I wanted to draw those big robots in those tripods. And uh, have those tripods fighting samurai army yeah. in full armor, or uh, burning down castles, and it was fun. I enjoyed it. Is there any, is there anything that Usagi just 
just didn't fit in. You tried tried your best to put it to kind of put him in that world. Uh, a story you wanted to tell? Not really. <laughs> I mean, I can always find a way to do it. Yeah. If not with Usagi, then one of his descendants. And I wrote down a few of his descendants, uh, and they're they're determined by the ownership of his swords, the original ah. Usagi swords. Yeah. Like I have a 1940s like pulp fiction type of. Uh, uh, like the shadow type That's of um, uh, Usagi. Uh, I have a contemporary story yeah. about a, a female investigative reporter that I started on once, and so I can always find a, you know some way to uh, tell those stories. You still like drawing rabbits? Oh, I love drawing rabbits. Yeah, they become easier every day. Yeah. What, what? But I don't like drawing horses, and that's why Usagi walks everywhere. <laughs> There you go, that's Tansakai. What a just tremendously warm and, and wonderful human being he is. Uh, really, really enjoyed that conversation. Uh, thanks so much to him for taking the time to do that. Uh, you know, we, we, we actually did that at his uh, table. He had a little booth in the artist alley section of, of Baltimore Comic Con, and, you know, people were um, kind of like milling about just waiting to get his his autograph um, and to have him do a Yusagi Yojimbo sketch. Um, everybody, everybody loves Stan Sakai. Every, you know, every, everyone I've ever talked to, I think, loves loves his work. Uh, you know, I've got uh, Fanographics put out a really terrific collection a few years ago it's a, a two volume set that uh, is one of my my most treasured comics collections um i uh <laughs> i think i might have mentioned i can't remember if i mentioned this during the interview or after the interview but you know my familiarity with uh, with with his work with with usagi yoshimbo goes back to uh, the teenage mutant ninja turtle days um you know, had uh, there was some crossover there. He was he, he showed up. Uh, Samurai Rabbit showed up in the, the Ninja Turtle universe. Um, had that had that action figure. It was uh, as as a slightly rabbit obsessed person. Um, I guess it kind of makes sense that that was uh, one of my favorites. Uh, really, really loved the book, and you know, it's really amazing that he's been able to do it for for this long and and, and keep up the the quality over the years. Uh, thanks so much to him. Uh, I should mention I, this is the second Baltimore. Comic Con uh, interview that we've 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 posted on the show thus far, and uh, uh, I kind of want to you know <laughs> mention it. Like, I don't know if it's like a, I don't know if it's a disclaimer. I don't know if it's technically a disclaimer if you mention it after the thing is over. Um, it's like a postclaimer or a footnote or something like that. But uh, the worst PA system in all the world at Baltimore Comic Con. It's like. I, you know, and I, I, I love the show. It was great. A lot of awesome people there. I had a really good time, but oof, just a tremendously bad, bad place to to have a conversation. You know, there's um, hopefully the the sound wasn't wasn't too awful in the background. Anyway, thanks so much to to Stan for for taking the time to do that. Thanks to Brian as always for editing the show together. Uh, thanks everybody at the Boing Boing Podcast Network. If you like the show, there are many other fine Boing Boing podcasts to check out over at iTunes. And while you're over at iTunes, you should take the opportunity to uh, to rate the show. Uh, do a nice little review and give us a give us I'm gonna say a few, but five. Come on. If you liked what you heard, give us, give us five stars. Uh, really, really appreciate any feedback you can send along. Uh, if you want to send us an email, it's riwildcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Tumblr. That's riwildcast.tumblr.com. That is the first and best place to get all of your R-I-Y-L-related information. I've got a Facebook thing. Like us over there. Uh, I think that's about all I got. So uh, I will uh, catch you guys just about this time next week. 
with another episode of RIYL.